Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kerland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And last week, we had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Susan Friedman that just was filled with so many gems that I wanted to ask Dominique what some of the things, some of the takeaways that she had from that conversation were. But before we get to that, we need to just remind people that we have a new offering. We have an audio course, the Listen and Learn audio course that's an introduction to applied behavior analysis. And we invited Mary Hunter to be our guide through through that course. So we've it's set up very much like these podcast conversations, but it's organized more as a course. And there's also additional material that links and videos and articles that go along with each of the recordings. And we launched that, when was that? In, in April, we launched it. And because of the coronavirus, I know that a lot of people are, have really been hard hit in terms of budgets. And so we offered through the month of May a special discount for that course that you can get it for 50% off. And that is still available through May 31. So 2020. 2020, yes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Which year are we talking about? Good catch, Dominique. So if you are interested in the course and you're listening to this before the end of the month, this would be a great time to sign up. You can go to our website, equosity.com, to learn more about the course and to register for it. Do you want to, should we, is there more to say about that, Dominique? What should we say? Well, I think that's pretty complete. People are loving it. Yeah. yeah. People are loving it. We're getting great comments. There's a really active comments threads going on that had some wonderful responses. And so it's, I think, a really useful and worthwhile course. And it's like these podcasts, it's set up to be convenient and to really fit into your life that you can listen to the audio files while you're cleaning the barn. You can be learning about applied behavioral analysis and trying to figure out why why people behave the way they behave. Yeah, I think we we it, it we go into more in it's more in depth than what we would do normally on the podcast. There are 31 lessons, so there's quite a lot of audio material, but there's also a lot of uh, extra material, the video, the notes, the links. So it makes it very rich and allows for more depth than what people would get from the podcast. Yes, absolutely. It's a course. Yeah. It's much more than just a podcast. It is a course. And it was a lot of fun to do. Mary would send us outlines, the things that we were going to discuss when we got together via the, the internet. And we'd look at the outlines. Oh, you know, that that won't take us very long. Like three hours later, we'd be 
a quarter of the way through the outline because we all, both of us had questions and we had rabbit holes that had to be explored and it was really fun to do. And Mary's just a phenomenal, phenomenal guide through all of this that she really is so clear and really helps to make sense of what can be some real head-spinning concepts. But I think too that she's very good at always bringing it back to applicable yes. uh, principles that we can, that can really help us in our training because understanding the science behind what we're doing really makes a difference in terms of us becoming autonomous trainers, yes. creative trainers. If yes. we understand the principle, then we can really come up with all kinds of ideas to help us in the moment. And so, but but Mary's very good at that. It's not just the theory. She always gives examples that uh, we can relate to and we can apply in our everyday training. Well, one of the things that I've always appreciated about Mary's work, and many of you know Mary Hunter through her blog, Stale Cheerios, Com and others are learning about Mary through Portal, through Behavioral Explorer, and her work with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. One of the things that I've always really appreciated is Mary is so good at bridging the world between the research, the theoretical, and the applied world, and really translating the technical literature, drawing out, finding the pieces that are going to be really useful to us yeah. and then translating them for us. Cause there's uh, like, like any field, there is a huge abundance of resources of articles that are produced every month. And to keep up with any one field is, is a near impossibility. Yeah. So you need translators. Not only that, but she's a horse owner. So she knows yes. what we're interested in. Yes. That's right. She knows, That's you right. know, the kind of behaviors and behavior modification that we want to discuss because she owns a horse and she's been, you know, she's owned horses a long time. Yes. She knows dogs very well as well. And we talk about both. But of course, we always have a special focus on horses throughout the course. Yes. So, so we really weren't intending this to be a long, let's talk about the listen and learn course, but it is, it's a good course. So if you're interested in learning more about applied behavioral analysis, if you want more background in the science that sits behind our training, then this is a really great opportunity to gain a real working knowledge of real fundamentals of applied behavioral analysis. You know, I don't want to make it too long again, but one of the things too that I have found interesting in the course was to understand how things were before we knew what we knew. You know, to see, to look yes. in the past before the research that we're using uh, were available, what people thought about animals and animal training. For me, that was also a very interesting part because Although, you know, there are now quite a few years of research to base what we're doing on, but it's not that long ago, maybe a hundred years ago, that people had no idea of what seems to us so obvious today. Yes. And so that was, that was an interesting part. The history of it, too, for me, was interesting. And, you know, I think that's a really interesting point. 
which may actually take us down a fun rabbit hole to explore, uh -oh. <laughs> because, uh, which is fine. This is yeah, what we do. Yeah, that's we, okay. Yes, yeah, so we dive down rabbit holes because, you know, the world has changed. Yep. It wasn't that long ago that to keep a dog inside, you just didn't. Dogs lived outside, you know, and they were, they were farm animals. They weren't, they weren't animals that snuggled up in your bed at night. They were, they were kept outside. Mm. Look at how much the world has changed. Mm. Horses were work animals and they, they did what they were told. And uh, when they were too old or infirm to work, you got rid of them. And now we have horses that are family and that are living into their 30s and we rejoice and celebrate every birthday and we know that they are intelligent creatures. And so it's important, I think, to remember, to especially when we're looking at some of the research, is to remember you know, how, why this research was done and why it was even possible to do some of these horrific experiments with animals because the attitude hmm. about animals was so very different and hindsight's a, a, a fascinating thing and I think right now we're living in a time period and I really mean we're living in a time period as in the last couple of months in which things are changing so rapidly that it's easy to forget what how we were thinking and where we were a month ago, two months ago. So, for example, right now in New York State, we are well on, thank goodness, well on the other side of the curve, that, that we have flattened the curve. So in New York State, we were heading into some really terrifying numbers in the beginning of March. And the death rate, the daily death total was up around, I think it was at one point, over a thousand people a day, which is just horrific. And now it's under a hundred, which is still a lot of people, but it's it's hugely different. And when you look back at how we felt in March and what we knew and what we were being told and why we took the actions that we took, and then today you were sitting here going, well, but why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that? It's because we didn't know. That's right. You we know, this know. This also makes me think of, um, because in the podcast with Susan, we talked about the theory of avoidance. Yes. And we had an exchange. I had an exchange and I copied you on this exchange with Susan afterwards, after the podcast. And I said to her, amongst other things, you know, um, that I wasn't aware before the conference uh, this spring, the uh, Arts and Science of Animal Training Conference and our exchange with Susan on it, that the theory of avoidance has not really been settled yet. And Susan's answer was, I can think of not one theory that has been settled Science progresses and self-corrects. Yes. And so when we look in the course, when we look at the past, you know, we look at all these things and we say, oh my God, you know, it's so obvious today. But what is obvious today will be challenged by science. Yes. And, you know, in another hundred years, it'll be probably something else, you know, that people can... How could we have thought that? 
you know, how could we have thought that women should only stay in the in their the home that they couldn't be doctors and lawyers and you know everything everything else under the sun how could anybody have ever thought anything so ridiculous how could we have not seen the intelligence of animals how could we you know all these fill in the blanks and then you have these experiences where life is coming at you so fast and furious and things get compressed and I think that's the period that we're living in right now, that, that these changes that are occurring, are the, the, the changes are so fast that you can have a bit more of that perspective of, can I remember what I was thinking and feeling and reacting in March? And why was I thinking that way? Because here it is in May and we're in a different place in our lives with different knowledge. And so we're responding in it with, with different answers. And we look back thinking, well, why didn't we just do X, Y, and Z? It's, a, it's an interesting experience, time frame that we're in. Well, there certainly will be the before the virus and after the virus. That's yes, for sure. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we talked about in that I really loved in Susan's in the podcast we did last week was that phrase that she had of positive reinforcement is such a pervasive actor in our lives that hmm. it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's like Easter eggs. Yeah, me too. The more too. you look, the more they are. The more I know. They're there. Yeah, that, that for me was the big image that I was left with too. And we got emails from, from some of our listeners about that, that, you know, they're, they're looking for the Easter eggs. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, it's so easy to get focused and locked on to the negative reinforcement contingencies that we're all under right now. We're still, you know, we're washing hands, we're wearing masks. Because it works. It's been shown that it works. Yeah. We want to postpone the being infected. <laughs> That's right. And the data is showing that this is effective. It's certainly yep. been effective in New York State in bringing those numbers down. So it's easy to to just think, all right, it's all it's just it's all just negative reinforcement. And that's what we're living under. But there's an underlying stress that sits in that frame of reference that I don't want to live in. So I loved that well, positive reinforcement is such a pervasive actor in our lives and it's everywhere. It's like Easter eggs. Yeah. And so the more you the more you look, the more you experience, the more you find the Easter eggs are everywhere. So my question to you would be, what are some of the Easter eggs that you're finding through this experience? Um, well, definitely there's more uh, time with oneself to do, to explore with my horses, to learn. For me, I've used the time really like, I haven't lost the time that was given to me because all the social activities are gone. And some of the things, some of the habits that I've uh, developed, I want to keep no matter what. Such as? Such well, as. just, you know, to 
I don't know, taking more of the time, you know, not not be not to accept all the invitations and be busy uh, socially, and because I'm, uh, I realize that the time I spend with my horses, the time I spent learning about, because this is my passion. I mean, it's it's not just uh, out of the blue that we're now at the I don't know one hundred and five fifth something episode it's because I really love this stuff um and so every minute I spend um you know studying it applying it is always very satisfying for me and the the confinement has given me more time as it has everybody else um with myself and I was lucky because I was able to see my horses um so I it's like I'm cleaning up you know, I'm just um, focusing more and more and more on what is really important to me. Um, I've let go of some charity work that I was doing because it was not about horses and training. And so to have that focus has been very satisfying, actually, for me. Um, so what about you? I think, a, I think a lot of people are going to find that, that the restrictions... It goes back to the degrees of freedom. You know, the Joe Lang's talks on degrees of freedom where and some people aren't familiar with that term. It's you think about the example that Joe always gives when when he's presenting. So you think about somebody who's a high school student who's on the debating team. And he's he's a really good debater. In fact, he's so good he's captain of the debating team. But he's a physical klutz, so nobody <laughs> wants him on the sports team. So he doesn't play sports after school. Nobody ever invites him to uh, join the, you know, a soccer team or anything of that sort. And because he's so clumsy and klutzy, uh, he doesn't go to the school dances, and he's not good at making social connections and conversations. So at the lunch tables, he's always sitting by himself which these days means that he's not going to be contracting the, the virus because he's already six feet of social separation. But he basically has one degree of freedom. He has one choice. There's one thing he can do. He can be on the debating team. And whereas somebody who's good at debating but also is, is good at sports and has lots of friends, so that person has many more degrees of freedom. He can join the debating club. He can join the soccer team after school. He can hang out with his friends and play video games. He's got all these choices. And in many ways, he's a much happier individual because he's not constrained by that one choice. So very often you see people who are really, really good at doing some, you know, like being the captain of the debating team. It's because... That's all they could do. So they, they, might, they might hate debating, but it's the only skill they have. So they just get better and better at it, even though they actually hate debating, but it's all they can do. So our degrees of freedom have been radically altered over the last few months. Yeah. You think about that. You know, we, we didn't have the degrees of freedom to just travel to go to any store that we wanted to go to, they were closed. Store owners had their degrees of freedom radically offered, altered. They couldn't 
have their bookstores and their gift shops open. So all of us have had our degrees of freedom restricted in some way. And the question and, and listening to you know some of the interviews that you hear on the you know, various radio news broadcasts and so on, it's clear that for some people their their lives have been impoverished by that. That they didn't have they didn't have a repertoire of behaviors that allowed for a restriction in one area to not be a restriction throughout their lives. And there's only so many Netflix television shows that you can binge watch before you've run out of Netflix television shows, I gather. And for others, like yourself, the restriction in one area has actually meant greater freedom in other areas. Absolutely. I've also I've also discovered discovered Scrabble <laughs> at a distance with my friends. We play on our phones. I didn't know that existed. It's a free app. Yeah, yeah you can play Scrabble at a distance. It's, you can only play with one person, as far as I know. I haven't found how to play with three other person, but anyway, a small Easter egg. But that's been kind of fun too. So it's been one of the only activities that I've allowed myself outside of, you know, studying and uh, applying with my horses or dog, but um, yeah, small Easter egg. Well, certainly my score, my score is better than it was before the confinement. I can tell you that. <laughs> what about you? What are some of your Easter eggs? Well, I think they're similar in that having the continuity of time. And this mm. is the first time because all of the clinics have been canceled. Yeah. Which was on one hand very sad. Yeah. And I miss my clinics. Um, so that that was not a good thing on on many levels. But I haven't been traveling. And so this is the first time in literally decades that I have been in one place through the spring season. Hmm. And, you know, I love, I'm a gardener. I love watching the change in the, the trees and the watching things coming up and seeing what's blooming and what's about to unfurl its leaves and look at the color and the, right now I'm looking out the window and just looking at the color of, in the ferns right now, which are just in their first, they, they just unfolded and it's such a vibrant, beautiful green that they have. It, it slowed us down. Huh? It slowed us yeah. down in a way. So it's given us more time to contemplate. Um, I agree. I, I have that feeling too. Like yesterday I was on my porch and last night, like literally, the lilac bloomed. They were not in bloom in the morning, but they were in bloom last night. And the smell on the porch, yes. it yes. was just wonderful. And, yes. you know, perhaps when we're busier, we have less time to, although I've always been someone who likes to contemplate nature, but I think we have even more time to do it. And it's very, very filling. I mean, it's it's a joy for me. I mean, it's what keeps us serene, no matter what life throws at us, the beauty of and, nature. So, to, And I do recognize the privilege that I have 
in that I'm not living in in the city an apartment yeah 14 floors up and all the rest of that well you uh, could always have a plant um you know at your good, window it's not, it's not quite the same <laughs> no as you know but you can visit a park you can go in a park yes. there are beautiful parks yes. in all the cities where you can still yes. contemplate nature yes. i mean when you when you want to find an easter egg you can go where you know you will find the easter egg so if you don't have the property, you, I'm sure you have access to a park. That's right. That's right. And, and I think that's really one of the keys is to say, all right, I could either succumb to the gloom and doom and the awful predictions of what is going to, what sits in front of us, or I can go on an Easter egg hunt. Yeah. And, and I know this sounds really Pollyannish of us, but... <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes there's value in that of just saying, all right, this morning when I get up, I'm going to begin my Easter egg hunt. What What's out there waiting for me? Yep. And that's, um, that's, a, that's a good way to let the day unfurl. You know, what are the Easter eggs that I'm, that I'm going to find today? Yep. And I may discover that I need a larger and larger Easter egg basket because I'm finding so many. Well, you you can train yourself, huh? I think, I know for me, being part of this clicker community, I think we have a bias to, and you, you develop that bias because, yes. you know, you stop looking for what's wrong and you start looking for what's, you know, what, what you can reinforce. It changes your whole perspective in life. Yes, and it, it it creeps in huh? after many many years. You notice that oh, I'm I'm different. I'm a different person. I like this person better. Well, and that's that's the piece that I keep coming back to because you know I've got this other podcast, the Horses for Future, where we're really focusing on what can horse people do to make a difference in climate change. And climate change is sort of taken very much a backseat. All you know that that. that last January, you could start up a really interesting conversation with people who were, yes, we need to be thinking about climate change. And now you t start talking about climate change and everybody's, you know, no, 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 no. We have, an, we have one, we have a major crisis right in our face. I don't want to think about climate change. It's like, okay, get, I get that. But it's still, what is it that horse people have to offer that can help no, no matter what the crisis is, whether it's coronavirus or climate change or, you know, something that's just affecting your community or yourself as an individual. And, and I think one of the skills that's so needed and that we really can share is what clicker training teaches, that at its core, it's focus on what you want. Focus on what you want, not the unwanted behavior. Focus on what you want. And when you find yourself getting pulled back to the grimness of the unwanted behavior, you, you really do develop when you're working with the horses. It's like, yes, yes, I can see that the horse is grumpy and pinning his ears and you know all the rest of this. And maybe I need to make a change in the environment because it's not that I want to ignore the fact that this horse is showing all kinds of emotional behavior that would suggest that 
he's feeling stressed and that he's feeling overwhelmed by the situation. So I don't want to ignore that. It's I, I, I see it. I recognize it. What changes can I make? Should I change where we're working? Uh, should we go outside of this arena, out to his paddock where he's more comfortable? Should we bring a friend in? Should we take a friend out? You know, what, what do we need to do? And then when I made those adjustments, it's how can I focus on what it is that I want? Do I have any, and do I know what I want? And maybe I don't really have a good picture of what it's going to feel like when this horse is truly my dream horse because I can't imagine that fully yet. But I can imagine a, a step along the way. I can imagine a piece of that and begin to head in that direction. This is a skill that we, as clicker trainers, we have been developing. A, a skill in a perspective because what we end up doing is that when the horse doesn't do exactly what we had thought or wanted them to do. We don't call it an error anymore. We call it feedback to readjust yes. our, your plan. So we don't look at things the same way. Things just, the environment is just constantly giving us feedback and it's for us to use the feedback to get, to, to get closer to our, you know, goals. And we don't blame the learner. Oh, no. that's just a stupid horse. It's a stubborn horse. It's a bad horse. He's testing me. All of that just drops by the wayside. It's this environment is too complex for this individual at this point of, in, in time with the repertoire that he has. What do I need to do? And when we look at the environment, even the environment, you know, sometimes we could say, Oh, this is an impossible setup for me to train. I have my horse. There's grass all over the place. I can't do this here. It's awful. No, we start looking at distraction as potential reinforcement. Okay, there's grass all over the place. I'm going to use the grass as reinforcer. So it, it changes like our mindset about everything. You know, everything can be turned into an Easter egg. Yes. Well, I don't want to sound too, um, but I mean, certainly it's, it's what we, it's our bias, it's certainly our yes. bias, yeah, to, to, to use the environment, to, um, to look at errors as feedback and not, like you say, just put a label on the horse and say it's a stupid horse, it's an impossible training environment, whatever. Which brings us to one of the things that we wanted to talk about, which is trailer loading. So you had a move. Uh, you, were, you had to move to a new location. And you had two of your horses who were saying, no, 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 no. We don't want to go on the trailer. Uh, and so That's that right. could have been absolutely one of those, oh, you know, this is an impossible situation. The trailer I, I'm borrowing is the trailer I'm borrowing and the horses won't go on it. But I don't have access to, you know, a different kind of trailer right away. And you know what? And I loved every minute of it. The I was super stressed about that move. For me, moving horses is like my top three most stressful thing in life because I wanted it to go so well. And I knew, especially Pico, because before I adopted Pico, 
He traveled all over the world and he wanted nothing to do. He wouldn't even line up six feet from the trailer. So I had no idea if I was going to be able to retrain this. Uh, but although I was very stressed and thus very motivated. <laughs> so, so we can look at this. If we look at this from the, if you were a glass half empty person, you're very stressed. Yeah. It's an impossible situation. My horse won't load. It's going to be horrible. I feel powerless. I feel helpless. You could easily go down that road. Yeah. Or you could take a different path. Yeah. And of course, you know, I didn't just started two days before the loading day. I started like a month and a half before. And I knew, uh, and you know what was also, well, for, well so why I loved it was that, well, this is kind of giving the punch, but in the end, all three of them, they loaded like a dream. I'm going to stop us here. I know if you have a horse who is a difficult loader, you're going to be saying, no, don't do this to me. I need to know what Dominique did, but I'm going to make you wait. Think of the pleasure that anticipating this particular Easter egg can bring you. So next time in the next podcast, we'll focus on trailer loading and Dominique can share with us what she did with her two horses. Until then, remember we're offering a 50% discount on the Listen and Learn audio course. That discount is good through May 31, 2020. You can certainly order the course afterwards, but the discount is good only until the 31st. So go to equiosity.com to learn more or to register for the course. Stay well, and thank you for listening. Thank you.